This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo Irarangi Onatangata o Manawatu. It is a Thursday morning, and so we turn our attention to Manawatu District Council as we do every fortnight on a Thursday. And we have on the phone uh, Mayor Helen Warboys of Manawatu. Good morning to you. Ah, oh, Morena Fraser. Good to talk to you again. Yes, indeed. I think we missed our last one, so I say fortnightly, but it's been almost a, a month. And my goodness, how the world has changed since we last spoke. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, it certainly has. COVID, uh, it's not just something that we were thinking about. It is actually here and it's now a reality. Yes, well, tell that to the, the people of, well, some of the people that were uh, occupying Parliament. Some of them think it's a, a hoax, obviously. Um, but uh, not to dwell on that too much, let's focus on local uh, matters. Uh, mind you, uh, related to the, the occupation down in Parliament, I did notice in Palmerston North uh, a couple of mini protests popping up around the place. I saw some f- familiar signs that I'd seen on the live streams and on the television down in Wellington. Uh, was there any protest? in, in Manawatu? Uh, yes, there was. There was one or two or three or four people each day outside the police station, sometimes down by the railway station. But, um, yeah, it's people's democratic right to have a say, and uh, they were very peaceful, not like the Wellington crowd. And um, so, so, yeah, they had their opportunity to say how they feel. Indeed. And now we are obviously, I I sort of informally refer to the position we're in at the moment now of a managed outbreak, um, which seems to be what the the government's trying to do. We can't stop COVID anymore, but we can try and manage its its infection rate across the the country. Uh, Although the R value, I think at last count, was worryingly high. Um, But what does that mean for Manawatu District Council, some of the services you're providing and indeed things like staffing. I know we spoke to um, Rachel Keedwell on Tuesday and she was reminding us that bus services could be affected if a number of drivers um, get COVID and have to isolate. So by extension, I'm assuming that it will potentially affect some council services as well. Oh, absolutely. The, um, that's a challenge for us and we're looking at that almost on a daily basis as the government um, tweaks the rules. And, uh, you know, we've got a couple of cases within council now and, and staff away, isolated with family members. So the, the challenge, for not just for council, but for businesses, you know, I noticed uh, going out needing to do some shopping, I noticed some businesses really struggling with staffing um, and also some people that weren't quite as kind as they should be because being frustrated, they couldn't get the service or the products they wanted. But... Look, it is what it is. We just need to uh, be kind to each other, work through it. And at the moment, Touchwood Council is able to operate uh, all its levels of service. And uh, the staff that are in there doing doing the roles are doing a fantastic job. So, yeah, just say thank you when you're out there going about business. And, you know, go out and get your coffee and have a muffin and support the local businesses because 
when we come out the other side, we need those businesses. So the only way they're going to be there is to support them now. And of course, we we heard uh, on Wednesday that the government are going to be reducing the self-isolation time from 10 days to 7 days. Do we really think that's going to make much of a difference for small businesses? Those, are those three days going to be the difference between, you know, shutting up shop or, or just managing to limp along? I, no, I don't think so. But look, anything going the right way is helpful. Um, and if nothing else, if it helps people's fears and anxiety, um, then that's good. But from a business point of view, if you're already struggling and you're right, a couple of days isn't going to make a lot of difference. Um, yeah, and I I just think the government needs to be aware of the impact on businesses right across right across the board. Doesn't matter what business you're in or involved in, there's impact on it. And you know, even when COVID we come out the other side, the impact on our economy is going to be here for a long time. And uh, have we thought about that and, and what are how do we help and support uh, businesses through this tough time? Because it's going to be here for a while. Indeed. Um, let's have a, a look at some uh, m- more directly related to council issues. I see the quarterly council performance report is is out or, or, or ready to be presented. Um, how is council performing? Because these are, I'll use the word, unprecedented times. And I remember... During, I think it was during the first lockdown, uh, the, the the district council decided not to increase rates, but to dip into its rainy day fund to assist uh, ratepayers and residents of of the the district. Uh, the second lockdown, things were a bit tougher, and 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 you know tax uh, rates had to increase. What what? How are we doing now, performance wise, particularly financially? But of course, money's not the be all and end all. Absolutely, look at. Uh the report came to our Audit and Risk Committee and then it was adopted by Council last week. And I'm really pleased to say that we've got a new way of measuring our performance and progress and, and that's, that's really good. It's much simpler to have a look at to make sure that all our levels of service are where they need to be. And um, even the capital spend, even though it, it's behind where we expected it to be, and a lot of that is outside our control. It's dependent on contractors and weather and um, all of those things. And of course, COVID just adds to it. But we were we were very happy about where we're sitting given the circumstances around it. So uh, from our point of view, it was a, a big tick. Uh, I, I seem to remember one of the last times these performance reports came out, it was the the nursery gardens were of particular, uh, well, the media cottoned on to the fact that they weren't uh, performing financially as well as perhaps we had hoped. Have they turned around? Uh, absolutely, yes. Uh, we've put some new management in place, um, oversight people in place, and, um, and, and also some new projects have come along. There's they're doing a lot of work with local iwi about getting young people into horticulture and growing plants, etc. So um, I, that has been one of our more success stories, uh, turning it around from where it was. And uh, so the, the graph is definitely going the right way. So we're pleased about that. Marvellous. Also in Council Direct Matters, uh, the Public Places Bylaw, is this uh, something that's just up for review or is there something specific uh, happening in this space? Uh, Well, the amendments to the Public Places Bylaw were adopted last week by Council and listeners may recall we went out 
for feedback and submissions, the police came to us asking to put more powers into our public places bylaw so that they were better able to control places like the skate park, some of our playgrounds, parks, some of the areas where uh, less desirable activity goes on. And uh, so we, they came back to us with some research where those key places were. We went out to the community. We had 34 submissions. Uh, we heard a number of those submissions as well as the verbal ones. And uh, then council made those uh, amendments to the public places bylaw. So that is now in effect. And uh, hopefully we will be able to hear from the, the police and the community that um, having a bit more power and a bit more teeth in those bylaws is helping public behaviour. So that was literally just about sort of law enforcement. It wasn't about particular uses of spaces or, or anything in that regard. No, it was it was not a review of the public places. It was simply an amendment that came about because the police came to council and pointed out that the, uh, the wording in the public places bylaw lacked a little bit of teeth and some of the hours where things like alcohol bans uh, were permitted uh, needed a bit more teeth in them. So uh, we took that on board and, like I said, we did some research, police provided information, and uh, so that has now been adopted. So were, were, were these uh, areas that the police had researched were high priority? I, I mean, were there significant problems there? Were you getting uh, or were the police getting complaints from residents on a fairly regular basis? Uh, well, things like the skate park is a new, that's a new facility, the one that we built next to the Marquino Pool. Uh, so, of course, that, was, that wasn't uh, um, an activity that we had foreseen when the previous review had been done. So, obviously, where young people congregate, it comes with associated issues and behaviours. And uh, while we've introduced things like security cameras, lights, um, toilets, etc., to the skate park area, uh, having in, in place extending the CBD alcohol ban to include the skate park now gives the police some teeth to actually go along, and when there is uh, inappropriate behaviour, they can move them on. Very good. We are here with Mayor Helen Warboys from Manawatu District Council on the catch-up, finding out uh, what's been uh, happening around the council table and in the district over the past few weeks. If you'd like to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, just head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, To matters controversial, uh, Helen, uh, one that's been making the headlines, I know John Oglushka um, wrote uh, a fairly comprehensive article about this um, in The Standard a couple of days ago. The bio plant or pyrolysis plant uh, that was proposed to go in, I think, near the new resource recovery plant, certainly on Kawakawa Road. Um, This was not going to be open to public submissions, but I guess uh, fielding against incineration have uh, made this issue a bit more public than it originally was. And this is this is now going to be the subject of uh, seminars, workshops, discussions, debates and uh, official submissions. Uh, That's right. The um, the only council involvement in this was that uh, we had uh, potentially said that we would look at leasing a piece of land in our resource recovery park to bioplant for a paralysis plant, provided that they got their resource consent. 
So um, so they've been going through that process, and yes, you're right, Horizons have now made that a publicly notified consent. So it does give the community the opportunity to make submissions. But the one thing that Council has been encouraging bioplants to do is come out publicly and give us the information so that we're actually we're actually making informed decisions, not on rumours or perceptions or stuff that's happened overseas or old technology, etc. And uh, so that is that is now happening. Bioplants. Uh, there's a couple of public meetings uh, by Zoom, obviously because of COVID, but they that gives them the opportunity to put the facts across. And even for elected members, we have not made our minds up at all. We just don't have enough information at the moment. Uh, the one thing that has been stressed to us is that paralysis is not incineration. It's a, a new technology. It's much more advanced. But I, I personally would like to, like to know a lot more about it. Um, and also council, our councils, you know, knowing that they've gone through the consenting process, then they would have ticked all the boxes through that consent obligation around uh, air emissions and, and those kind of things that were of concern to people. So... I think this is a positive. We'll all get the facts. We can then make informed decisions and, more importantly, ask the question. It, it, we were speaking uh, yesterday with uh, Matt Dallas from the Manor 2 Standard uh, about this, and he was saying a, a similar thing. You need to be careful because it's not incineration. It's something different, and we need more information. Yeah. But at the same time, if something sounds too good to be true... <laughs> it, it probably is and this is taking waste out of landfill which we all want to happen and presumably with little effect on the environment turning it into in essence free energy um again i go back that's to my right. point if it, it sounds too good to be true helen well that's right and that's why we all need including council need a lot more information on what it is and you know but from the little bit of information that we do have uh, we understand that the CO discharge is less than the um, the gas that comes out of landfill. So if that's correct, that has to be a positive. Um, of course, the cost of taking waste to landfill is much less if you go through a plant like this. Um, and all our council is doing is looking for what are the new technologies out there and what are smarter, more environmentally friendly and more cost-effective ways to get rid of our waste. And you know, I know there are people out there saying, well, the only way you get rid of waste is not to have all the packaging. Well, totally agree, but at a local community point, uh, you know, apart from us lobbying government, and we certainly do that through the appropriate channels, it's something that the government would have to enforce to make some changes at that level. And uh, we've noticed that the, uh, the amount of waste going to landfill has increased significantly, and we're trying to find a better way to do that. Um, is the, do any of these pyrolysis plants exist anywhere else in New Zealand? Um, my understanding is no, at the moment not. They are looking to set up uh, one here and a couple of other places, I understand, in New Zealand. It's reasonably new technology. Um, it's, it's been used in, in, in overseas, I understand, in Japan and Korea, um, and now looking to bring it to Australia and New Zealand. But like I say, you know, we don't have all the details. I've got as many questions as the uh, as the people in the community who are really concerned about it. Um, I want some answers to my questions as well. So I'm looking forward to getting the facts. 
So as as far as I understand it, you were approached as a council to uh, allow this uh, company, Bioplant, to lease some land in order to put a pyrolysis plant in place. They had to obviously meet some consents, which they say they have. Um, is there any indication that they would then charge the council to take waste to turn it into energy? Uh, the cost, there's always a cost to getting rid of waste. And our understanding is that the cost to put it through a process like this is less than the cost of sending it to the landfill. So yes, there's always a cost. But the um, what we're looking for is better environmental outcomes. And if we can get that at less cost, even better. Uh, so And of course, council only said that we would look at leasing some land to them subject to them getting their resource consent. And that would give us the comfort that they have ticked all the boxes around the environmental concerns. Very good. Uh, now, just a, a little matter of, uh, well, sort of can't remember what they call it in parliamentary terms, but just to, to make sure that people are clear, uh, people will be aware that uh, Councillor Hilary Humphrey uh, resigned from the council. She had to relocate to somewhere else in the country. Uh, and so under normal conditions, that would spark a by-election, a local by-election to fill that seat. But uh, there are some sort of extraordinary uh, considerations that have uh, basically led the Manawatu District Council to say we will not fill that vacancy. And I'm assuming that condition is there's an election not too far away. Correct, yes. The, the rules say that if there is a resignation amongst elected members within 12 months of the next election, general election, uh, then um, we don't have to fill that vacancy. So Council did discuss that last week and all of the options open to us. And we made the decision, given that we're only months away from the next local body election, to leave that. Uh, position vacant. We have filled the uh, the gap that Hillary leaves with our community committees, uh, with creative communities, and uh, <clears throat> and also with audit and risk. So yes, as an elected member, we will spend the the next few months with one less around the table. Fair enough. Makes perfect sense to me because uh, by elections aren't cheap, are they? Well, it, exactly. That that's the, I was just thinking. That's the other point I forgot. That's very important. The cost of a by-election, you know, would be something like about $80,000 plus. Um, so, you know, to have to put that out there now and then do it again in a few months' time makes no sense at all. Um, so we've covered off the council matters. Uh, Helen, let's get you to change hats now slightly uh, to the leadership of the Communities for Local Democracy group uh, that you are spearheading in terms of challenging the government's three waters reform. Um, a couple of things have happened since we last talked. One, uh, Nanaya Mahuta uh, endorsed or, or gave the go-ahead for a working party uh, to report to government which is a, is a separate entity, as I understand it, to Communities for Local Democracy, but maybe you can talk to that shortly. Uh, the other thing is Ruapehu District Council has joined uh, your opposition, but not without a, a bit of a rift there. Is it, do you feel a little bit guilty that you've caused some ructions in Ruapehu? Um, well, no, not just Ruapehu. And no, I don't feel disappointed or sorry about it at all because we invited every mayor back in the beginning of November last year to take to their council um, our opportunity to join Communities for Local Democracy to have a voice to government 
for our communities that we were opposed to the model that they were proposing for three waters reform. What we've what we've since discovered is that a number of councils, including Ruapehu, the mayor did just sat on that email that was sent to them and did nothing further. And then as this work has gone on, elected members from various councils have suddenly said, well, how come we don't know anything about it? So we've said to them, well, here's the information. You need to go back to your mayor and ask why that information was was withheld. And in a number of councils uh, now, we've seen the proposal put on the table. Uh, it's it being discussed and then councils choosing to join to join our group. So we're now at 31. Uh, we've had Pokatani, um, Marketon, Masterton, uh, Dunedin uh, join us in the last two weeks, and we know of at least four more who are about to have that discussion. So it's uh, it's ever growing, and we knew that was the case. But the good thing is that we are now getting uh, we've nearly got half of all of the councils in New Zealand on board and pushing pushing the case for government just to pause and listen to what we're saying and work with us to find a solution that is sustainable and workable because what's going on at the moment is not. And I guess this is the issue, and we're seeing this time and again in New Zealand at the moment, although I, I, I do believe this is more constructive than other instances of, of the them and us mentality, the division uh, in in our society. As you say, you've got just, just under, so you know, a healthy amount, uh, just under th- uh, half of the councils involved. And, you know, just looking at Ruhupeu, because that's the article I've got in front of me, some of the councillors are saying that Three Waters Reform is a dog's breakfast. Others saying that Communities for Local Democracy is is a renegade group and the $10,000 membership fee is a waste of ratepayer money. I mean, it's, it's a divisive issue, not just Three Waters, but how to contend it as well. Oh, well, absolutely. And look, we wouldn't be in this position um, of having to fight for our local communities' ownership of their assets, if local government New Zealand, who uh, we are member, or we uh, all councils except for Maru now, are members of their job is to represent our views to government. And as I've said before, local government New Zealand chose, without getting approval from its members, to sign an agreement with government in the middle of last year that they would not oppose the government's model. So that means that the government have now mandated it. Uh, the, the model is what they're saying it is. Uh, and local government New Zealand have agreed not to oppose it. So a few mayors got together and said, well, who's going to speak for our communities? Our communities have told us that they're opposed to this. They do not want their assets they've paid for taken off them. And the work that Communities for Local Democracy has done over a period of just 11 weeks so that the money that council have put in, we have stretched that and done an amazing job using the expertise amongst the councils. Uh, we've been able to go back to the government and say, um, your model is flawed, but more importantly, you don't have to take the assets off the communities who own them. You can do this and achieve the same outcomes that you want, but they just won't listen. And the working party that government put together uh, it was through the Department of Internal Affairs. They appointed mayors and iwi representatives onto a group. And you only had to look at the makeup of the mayors on that group to know that this was not going to go anywhere very far. And also, if you looked at the terms of reference for that working group, it was simply 
about them tweaking the government's model. And the report came out yesterday from the Working Party to the government, and that's exactly what it is. They have tweaked the government's model. So we are still opposed to what is what the government's model is. Four entities, one size does not fit all. Now, I, I missed the boat on a lot of this. I did hear a smattering of, of the release of the report yesterday on RNZ. And as far as I'm led to believe, the mayor of uh, Lower Hutt was in charge of this working group? And no, they appointed Doug Martin. He's an independent from Martin Jenkins, a, a well-known international uh, infrastructure company. He was His job was to chair this group. And uh, he had 10 or 11 mayors and 10 or 11 iwi representatives. And their job was to go through and, as the terms of reference said, basically tweak the government's model. And uh, the key thing that came out of the report yesterday is the key concern is about ownership. The local people who have, who have paid and invested in the local assets want them to stay held locally. And the government is saying, oh, yes, but it's... But if you put them into the four entities, you still own them. And we're going, well, how do you own them if they don't sit on your balance sheet? And the government is saying, so the Working Party have now said, well, we've got a shareholder model um, that we're proposing that will tweak this. But the model still still sees the community assets going to the entity group. And ownership, you know, we're still waiting for the High Court determination on ownership. But ownership comes with rights and obligations. And so there is still little voice by the community and accountability back to the ratepayers who own these assets. And the bottom line, as I've said before, is we don't need this long, convolutant, multi-layered structure that they're talking about to achieve the outcomes that they want. And we've put the information on the table. Uh, we've given all the technical advice. We, we employed Castalia to come up with the evidence base to show that their model is flawed and there are other ways to do it. Interestingly, the Working Party have chosen to ignore that, but to date, no one has come back to us and said, no, you've got it wrong. Um, so, so we're meeting with the Minister and hopefully the Prime Minister next week, and our message to her is, you need to stop and listen, and ignoring evidence that's being put in front of you to show that what you're proposing is flawed is not going to make the problem go away, and you need to find something that's sustainable for generations to come. And, and all the other political parties have said, if they get into power or when they get into power, they would repeal this. So, so why would you carry on with it? Why so, not get it right up front? Indeed. Uh, so obviously uh, the other bit of news that came out, uh, I think, last week was that Heather Schotter, uh, CEO of uh, Palmerston North City Council, is resigning to take up a leadership role in the Department of Internal Affairs to transition uh, the models to the, the Three Waters reform. Is that a concern to you that someone has taken on a job that, I mean, you, you would think the job description and the terms of reference are in place, therefore a lot of the decisions have already been made? Well, the transition unit is, pro, is progressing. They don't have any budget at this stage. They are talking to councils and asking for information. We've sought legal advice about uh, whether that's okay because, like you say, they're not, um, they're not up and running and uh, have that opportunity. The only way they can get information from councils is to legoimer it through the Local Government Information Act. Uh, and uh, so we've sought legal advice. We've provided that to our CEs. The tricky thing is 
that you could also argue that uh, we don't want stock career path opportunities for our staff who work in this space. And our fear is that the government will end up doing exactly what it did with Kayanga Ora. Here we were trying to build more houses and us saying to the government, please work with councils, we can build houses together, but no, they knew better. They set up Kayanga Ora, they have poached all of the good staff across the country and they're paying salaries that are just ridiculous and the taxpayers paying for it. Well, so we can see the transition unit doing the same thing. Uh, we are out of time, uh, Helen, but uh, thank you very much for joining us on the catch-up this morning. We'll talk to you again in a fortnight and see how this and other issues are progressing. Thanks, Fraser. And remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch-Up series, just head to the website mpr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. Back tomorrow with MP for Palmerston North, Tangi Utakeri. Do join us for that. Bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.